Hello and welcome back to the Sky U Podcast by the Daily Gopher. I'm Chris, go AU Fur. With me today is U Street. Hey y'all. And Andy, Gopher Guy 05. I'm here and it's snowing. Uh, I'd like to point out that Andy is the pessimist among us, so every time the forecast says, oh my god, Snowmageddon's coming for the Twin Cities, he constantly just downplays and goes, nope, it's not going to happen, they're going to be wrong for the 70th time in a row, and today he had to shovel. Karma. Hashtag karma. Hey, if I got uh, paid to be right one out of every ten times, I'd be rich, but you know, details. (laughs) Um, God, it's been forever since we've done one of these. Like, what was the last time we did this? Pre before Christmas, sometime. Yeah, that sounds that sounds about right. It's 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 been a little while, or at least one that we've actually published. <coughs> oh, cough, cough. Hey, in my defense, it's not that I forgot or failed to get it done. It's that the last one of these we did was during the Illinois game, and we spent the whole time talking about how great we were playing only to get more and more dejected as the game got worse. And then Reggie Lynch, you know, the whole news broke the next day about him being a complete shitheel. And frankly, I just didn't feel like dealing with it or posting it at that point because Reggie Lynch is a shitheel. So, I mean, really, what what else am I supposed to do at that point? It just sucked the life out of my my podcast editing, I'm I'm not going to lie. So, I... (sighs) It's not like there's been a lot of great news for us to talk about. That's no excuse for us missing the podcast. Personally, my excuse is I've been on my deathbed twice because of, you know, being sick. But um, we really should be a little better. So we apologize to you, the fine listeners of the Sky U podcast, for for the delays uh, in getting back to doing this. But, I mean, let's just quickly recap what's happened since the last time we've talked. Um the basketball team has officially imploded for the most part. Um, they ha- had an okay game against Penn State, but everything else has been pretty bad and has people, you know, understandably antsy. The hockey team, I think since they split against St. Cloud State, they swept Michigan State, but then they also, who did they lose to? They got swept at home by Michigan. There we go. That's that's the part. That's the really frustrating part that I was forgetting about. Somehow they're still 10th in the pairwise, so hanging around for an NCAA tournament berth. We'll get to that. Um, although, you know, there's a lot of reasons why that's not going to happen, probably. And football. Uh, the football team has lost two assistant coaches. Um, something that has people way more freaked out than makes any sense to me. And we can talk about that, too. Uh, should I flip a coin or something to decide which of these totally awesome topics we break into first, or are we just going to start with, uh, say, basketball? Sounds good. Yeah, y'all are really going to have to get back in the habit of answering questions. <laughs> Remember, if I, if I end a sentence with the inflection that suggests a question, you can feel free to jump in with an answer. That's how podcasting works. I will leave my mic hot so there is not a delay. So if you get any interesting sounds in the back end, <laughs> it's your own fault. So when your children uh, decide they're unhappy, that's 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 the penance. Okay, fair enough. Um, all right, basketball. I mean, at this point, we're, I'm just going to ask, like, 
Street at this point, are you even watching games? Like, I, I mean, okay, I know you are watching games better than I am, but are you excited to watch games at this point? Well, as you know, Chris, I get paid the big bucks to watch games, so I'm always excited. In terms of the actual, no. No, I'm not excited. Here, here's a couple of things I got. Here's the first thing. The Gophers are 1-5 in their last six. Secondly, they lost their last game 67-49. to 49. That score is deceiving because that game was not that close. And you may wonder, hey, the Gophers have played a lot of away games recently, and they just played one in New York against Ohio State. That was also a home game, according to the Big Ten. Because it's really important that we reach out to that New York market. Because as we know, there are so many Big Ten teams in New York City. And not like, I don't know, Chicago or Indianapolis. Large cities within the Big Ten area. So I'm not excited about that. I'm not excited about watching the team because the team's kind of garbage. Amir Coffey was hurt. He made his return in the Ohio State game. He performed fine, but obviously he's... Conditioning level is not where it needs to be. Reggie Lynch is likely going to be expelled. We'll talk about that in a second. But as far as the encore basketball product, it's not very good. And the frustrating thing about the encore basketball product is even if you grant the injuries, even if you grant the lack of players, if your bench guys are making the same kind of errors on defense and offense that your starters are making and have been making the entire season, it's not just a talent issue. It's a schematic issue, it's a coaching issue, and it's a development issue. This is year five of the Richard Patino experience. He will have another season at the end of this, barring something coming out about whether or not he knew things about Reggie Lynch prior to recruiting him, and I don't expect those to come out. In year six, though, I think we're having a similar thing that we had last season, which is if they don't make the NCAA tournament, and potentially if they don't win a game in the NCAA tournament, so they make it, but they make it as a low seed, I think we'll probably see the end of the Richard Pitino experience. Yeah, I I have to agree. I, I'm not, like, giving up on Pitino or anything, but there are, there are definitely... It was easy to, to let yourself look past some of the things that you could see schematic or coaching wise earlier in the season and just say, Oh, they're, they need time to gel still. It's still early in the year. Um, but they're still doing some of the same. I mean, ball screens, we cannot defend a ball screen. We cannot defend a pick and roll. We have huge lapses in terms of like whole segments of, of our offensive game plan that just don't involve movements or, any it becomes as you mentioned uh, when we were kind of talking about it, uh, I aiming back and forth during the Ohio State game. I mean, it becomes hero ball. It becomes the team has no idea how to create offense, and so we start jacking up shots. Yeah, and it's not even good hero ball. It's like the mediocre Judd Apatow movie <laughs> of hero ball. Oh God! So much of it is. There, there were things that you could do early in the season that were fine. So, for example, an easy example is in transition, Nate Mason likes to pull up and take threes. Normally, this works because Jordan Murphy has run hard and has gotten in a position to get an offensive rebound. And honestly, it's actually a very good shot at that situation because either it goes in or the likelihood is Jordan Murphy is going to get a rebound. So Nate Mason likes that transition shot. Nate Mason has taken that transition shot multiple times when there has been no rebounder. 
underneath the basket. He's just taking the shot. He's missed the shot because he's not been shooting particularly well lately. Certainly not from behind the line. The team as a whole has been shooting horrifically. And you just waste a possession. Dupree McBrayer has the ball. There's 22 seconds left on the shot clock, and he takes a long 17-18 footer that's kind of a fadeaway. The worst shot in basketball. Unsurprisingly, this usually does not go in, and it certainly hasn't gone in for him the last few games. There's another waste of possession. As you mentioned earlier about ball movement, the only set that sort of works in terms of movement is to get Jordan Murphy the ball on the low block. And teams now, because the Gophers do not have another offensive option in Bakari Kanate, Gaston, and Jeju, are just immediately doubling that, which they should do. I think Murphy's probably not getting the calls that he probably deserves. Certainly has in the last couple of games, but he's also clearly forcing things. And he's having to force things because they're playing 4-on-5 on the offensive side of the ball. That's a development issue. While I am going to repeat until the cows come home that both Bakari Kanate and Gaston Jeju were spring recruits, and neither one of them were expected to see heavy minutes this year because Reggie Lynch should be playing and Eric Curry should be the next guy off the bench, and Bakari Kanate might be spelling them. They've been forced into heavy action, and neither one of them have made tremendous strides on offense. They are both seniors. They've been in the program under Patino their entire college careers, and they have simply not gotten better. Or, if they have gotten better, the coaching staff is not putting them in positions to succeed. Bakari Kanate right now, in an ideal world, is like, I don't know, a really bad Judd Apatow version of Tyson Chandler. He can dunk. That's it. Also, he's weirdly okay at shooting free throws. And yet, what they end up having him put into positions is he just gets in the way. And that's not his fault. That's how they are scheming. That's how they are building the offense. That's a coaching problem. And that would be a coaching problem even when Reggie Lynch was in the game. Because you would frequently have these problems where the bigs would sort of suck into each other, and all of a sudden you have one big getting defended by two defenders, but neither one of those defenders really has to worry about him because they have help coming from all sides. That's schematic. Yeah, I, I think the other thing that stands out that always bugged me is we're not actually, for, for long stretches, we're not that great of a defensive rebounding team inside. No, they're a horrific defensive rebounding team. Like, boxing out. Like, we do not box out. They're 12th in the conference right now in defensive rebounding. Uh, Andy, I mean, for you... I mean, are you, do you see a situation where if the season kind of continues the way it's going, um, that Patino's seat's fairly warm next season? Is that, is, I mean, I think Street and I both seem pretty in much in agreement on that. Is that where you kind of see things going? Yeah, definitely. I definitely think he won't, you know, some people will worry if he might be, you know, let go at the end of this year, but I, I agree that that's not going to happen. But yeah, I think he'll definitely be uh, a little bit on the hot seat next year, especially with, um, what everybody thinks is a fairly decent freshman class coming in. Um, yeah, that they'll, they'll be expected to try and turn things around. They get, you know, obviously there's plenty of time for, for injuries and things like that to creep up again. You know, uh, nobody thought we were going to lose Eric Curry this time last year, and that obviously has had a huge effect on this team, and then not, not including the Reggie Lynch incident and things like that. So, um, 
But, you know, I think he also has the ability to coach his way off the hot seat. Um, not to switch gears slightly, but keep it in the same place. Uh, this time last year, I thought Marlene Stallings was a dead woman walking. I thought she was going to have a horrible year this year. The Gopher women were going to be terrible, and the Mark Coyle will be looking to find a new women's basketball coach at the end of the season. Now, somehow, she has them a top-six team in the Big Ten. Um, you know, they've they've lost to a couple of the top teams, but they've beaten the teams around them and below them. As long as they do what they need to do down the finish, they'll be making the NCAA tournament this year. So, um, you know, the, he definitely can turn it around. I think um, if the Gophers live up to their potential next year and they get back to the NCAA tournament and, and whatever, I, I think he'll... Uh, you know, I think he'll be given a little bit more leeway, but if they, they flop again next year, I think there's a decent chance Mark Coyle's looking for a guy of his own. The last thing that I'll say on this is that in the off season, and hopefully this investigation is happening right now, I think it behooves the University of Minnesota to take a very long, hard look at the Reggie Lynch recruitment. And here's why. Under Patino... The University of Minnesota has been in the headlines for some type of sexual scandal multiple times. But those scandals were of different variants. The one with Kevin Dorsey was, if anything, an example of revenge porn. His phone is stolen, a video is uploaded to the internet, it is quite embarrassing. But at no point during any of that were there any rumors that anything on that videotape was coercive or bad in any kind. The Reggie Lynch situation is different, and we have received lots of things via the media from uh, victims' advocates, from reporters, that indicate supposedly that the university in some way had been contacted about Reggie Lynch. If we look at the timeline of the two-year suspension and the expulsion from the EOAA, as well as the other EOA investigation that was dismissed uh, last summer, they all occur within a one-month period of time. It is and to clarify, to clarify you're, you're, you're saying the inciting incidents for all three investigations. Correct. Yes, not when they were reported to the university. I don't, I don't believe that we have anything that indicates that the EOA process was wrong. And we don't have anything that indicates, and I should be very clear here, that indicates that anything that Mark Coyle did was wrong. Because similarly, just because someone came and told you a rumor does not mean that you as the university have an authority to do anything about it prior to a complaint. I do think that's important. But what I want to point out here is that these are issues that at least have been claimed to have been known for a very long time. And, if you believe some rumors, are known for years prior at different institutions. I don't know how much weight you put into those rumors, but I do know that recruiting is a tough business. And as we frequently learn whenever we choose to delve into the caring is creepy world of recruiting, coaches spend an inordinate amount of time looking at these recruits and following these recruits. I think it is fair to wonder how many of these rumors may have reached Richard Pitino? And I am willing to say that if Richard Pitino knew about them and chose to recruit Reggie Lynch and did not have an incredibly good reason for that, and to be clear, I'm not totally sure what that would be, but suppose one exists. If that was not his reason, then I think you let him go in the offseason. 
I think in general, I agree with you. I think the, the area, and I think this is what would make it dicey is I think what would likely be the rebuttal to this or what we would probably find. I think this is a fairly reasonable assumption to make is if Patino heard anything, he's going to ask people about it or let me, let me, let me rephrase. I would hope he asked people about it. And if he did so, what I find to be likely is that the people he's asking either don't believe it and thus give him some form of, no, Reggie's a good guy. There's always, you know, talk, but we can vouch for him as somebody who wouldn't do that sort of a thing, which is the sort of thing I would expect to get from the coaches that Reggie has been around, um, possibly administrators or teachers that Reggie has been around. Uh, basically, my gut feeling is is that the character witnesses, quote unquote, that Patino would go to if he had heard anything, are likely to dismiss these claims pretty much outright and use nothing but positive anecdotes about Reggie during a recruiting process. Now, I'm not saying that that's not that that's somehow exculpatory or should shouldn't cause you know us to examine how we as a university deal with things like this if they hear about them, which as, as Streets already said, as I'm going to say again, we do not know has happened. We're just kind of talking, thinking through and talking through this. Yeah, I think though that's fair. And I want to be clear that obviously we're talking through these issues. I don't necessarily believe that any of these things occurred. I do hope, and this is the hope, that the university is internally investigating it. Yeah. And I want to clear, and I'm going to quickly clarify some. When, when, when Street says he, he doesn't know if he believes those things occurred, he doesn't mean the stuff that the EOA has investigated. He means that we don't know uh, that Patino had heard anything during recruiting. Correct. Uh, the reason I wanted it investigated is that we are living in a world that for too long has not taken those reports seriously at all and has not taken them seriously to investigate them, has not taken them seriously within our institution. More broadly, colleges are faced today with an incredibly challenging set of circumstances, partially because, as we well know, universities are not actually equipped to investigate things, yet because of the travesty of justice that has occurred within the actual legal system, which is supposed to be doing this, have ended up taking on those roles. Being a Division I basketball player, in fact, being a basketball player at an institution in general is not a right, it's obviously a privilege, and it's a big business. And that presents a whole sort of contradictions. But I think as a university, it's also very important to recognize that the character of who you are recruiting does not mean just because someone came from uh, tough circumstances or had some minor thing happen when they were 12 means that they shouldn't ever be able to see those. But what Reggie Lynch is being accused of is very different to me. And on some level, my prior would suggest that if it was truly the case, and those are key assumption there. If it was truly the case that this was so well known, that it should have come up in some sense in the recruiting. And if it, that was just ignored, 
then I would have a huge problem. Yep, I'd agree with that. All right, let's let's move on to another uh, super fun topic. We're gonna bring Andy in a little more deeply here. We're gonna go hockey, Andy. I'm just going to ask you straight out. Do the Gophers make the NCAA tournament this year? You know what? I'm going to say yes, they do. Um, for a few reasons. They are back to number 10 in the pairwise after the sweep of Michigan State last week. Um, the one thing they have going for them is they're not going to face a bad team, uh, a.k.a. a pairwise buster, the rest of the way in the Big Ten. Uh, Notre Dame is either one or two. Um, Wisconsin's the lowest one they have left at, at the you know the low twenties, so that one would be that one would be a little bit of harmful. But Ohio State and Penn State are both. Ohio State's number five right now in the pairways, and Penn State is I think low teens. So um, Gophers can take a couple losses to those teams, and they're not going to drop precipitously like they did against Michigan when they got swept by Michigan and went from nine to fifteen in a weekend. Um, that being said, they've got a lot of work to do. Um, uh, you know, looking at several of the projections that, that come out from week to week, Minnesota probably needs to go at absolute minimum four and four, um, and probably win their first round series in the big 10 tournament, uh, to really feel comfortable. Um, five and three would be even better. Um, but they could pick up some ground if they can, you know, if they can split with Notre Dame, this weekend upcoming, that will be huge for them. Um, as after they split with St. Cloud, they shot up quite a bit. The Gophers have the number one strength of schedule in the country. That also is helping quite a bit. Um, and like I said, playing Notre Dame and Ohio State in two of the next four or five weeks uh, will help bump that up even more. So I'm going to say, long story short, I say yes, they squeeze in. Whether it be a three seed or a four seed, I'm not exactly sure, but I do think they will be... Uh, in the NCAA tournament this year. If they don't make the NCAA tournament, in your mind, is an, an automatic that Don Lucia should be gone? Um, you know, it's not an automatic, but I think definitely the fan base is trending that way. Um, you know, Mark, Mark Coyle is going to have a decision to make. If it looks like Lucia is going to be his quote-unquote high-profile coaching change, he's going to be able to make, move, uh, be able to change this year and make a move on um, you know, I think, I think this is his year. Um, the fan base is definitely unhappy and the season ticket base is decreasing. And I think if, if the Gophers either don't make the NCAA tournament or go one and done in the NCAA tournament again this year, and Mark Coyle doesn't make any changes, I think you're going to see the Gopher fan base really revolting and a lot of people dropping season tickets. The Gopher season ticket base is already down to a low of... 4,500. It hasn't been this low in years. And, uh, you know, people are not pleased. And if, if they don't see some type of change, whether that be on the ice with the Gophers having a little more success or uh, with the coaching staff, I think you're going to see another mass exodus this offseason. So, uh, yeah, no, I do I do think that Don Lucia basically has to make it. I won't, I won't say necessarily the Frozen Four, but I think he's going to have to make it at least to the uh, – to the second game of the of the opening weekend of the NCAA tournament to have a shot to come back next year. Um, now, the one thing the Gophers have going for them if they want to make a change is Lucia's only under contract for one more season, so the buyout's not significant. I actually just ran the math on it um, 
basing it off of an Eric Vigo tweet who had it last week, uh, the Gophers would have to pay him $315,000, which, you know, comparatively is a drop in the bucket uh, to what they've been paying out lately. So, um, you know, I, I do think if the Gophers don't make it to at least the uh, the Elite Eight, I do think that Mark Coyle will decide to make that change, and I do think he'll pay the, the three hundred fifteen grand to uh, get some new blood in here. But, uh, like I said, the, the Gophers have... Uh, four weekends left of the regular season to make an impact and uh they could make a run in the big 10 tournament too yeah i think what's interesting is that i i suspect i suspect if you were to ask the folks who talk hockey and follow hockey uh, on the daily gopher um i and probably you and others would we'd be we'd be considered lucia homers because you know i think we've been pretty clear to try to set reasonable, not expectations, but take a reasonable view of his tenure and, and look and, and suggest that while I don't, th- I, I, we did a, we had a pretty nice discussion going off the find and, and link to uh, link to it in a future post here. But um, the discussion of while he's probably not in that complete upper echelon of you know top four or five coaches over the last two decades uh, in college hockey certainly just below that and replacing a coach like that when he's winning conference title after conference title after conference title and when they're making exits from the tournament but they're making them to good teams um, is a little more difficult to defend I think the really interesting thing with this year is that the fall has been so dramatic in terms of falling within the Big Ten that I don't I don't feel even weird feeling like last year to say there's yeah it doesn't make sense to me that we would fire him as he continues to win titles but then as soon as we take this deep of a step back and there's so many continued the problems that we've seen for years now worsen in a very distinct and noticeable way i don't even feel weird about saying agreeing with you and saying you know i think he has to do quite a bit this year in order to 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 save his job um and i don't think it would be knee jerk i i because i the things that people have annoyed to me that have annoyed people for a number of years now with the Gophers, I don't think people were wrong to be annoyed with them, and I don't think people were wrong to notice them. I think people were wrong to take that and then say, well, we're frustrated, but we're still winning, so let's just get rid of them because we're frustrated. Like, I never understood that, but had we not been winning, he would have been fired already. And now we aren't winning, or we're not winning well enough or enough, um, you know, and we're being quickly surpassed. You know, the the sort of we've been surpassed by the other teams in Minnesota. Yeah, you know what? That's frustrating. But it's not like Minnesota is preordained to be the only team in Minnesota that can win. Like St. Cloud State's allowed to be good. Yeah, and I mean, and you can we could go an hour on the changing demographics in college hockey of the last ten years and how that all relays into it, but. You know the short, the long and the short of it, and I think I've been reading some some good comments across the internet on, on is, uh, you know, coaching tenures gets stale after a while. Don Lucia's been here for 
doing the math, you know, basically 18, 19 seasons. And he had his really great success in his first few years. And, you know, we've had other trips back to the, to the, the frozen four in that time, but you know, it, eventually things just get stale and you need to get some fresh blood into the program. And I think, you know, that honestly may be where we are in here. Um, the trick, and, and this is where, you know, a lot of this can wait until we see how the rest of the season goes and whether they look like they're going to make a change or not, is going to be the politics of a coaching change and coaching search at the <laughs> University of Minnesota are going to be an absolute train wreck. The best, oh the, God, the best thing I can compare it to would be Michigan football because you have a very hardcore alum base who are going to be very vocal at seeing a M man in the head job. And you've got a very loud vocal point of the fan base who says, you know what? We've been doing that for a while. We need to see some fresh blood. Let's get some, let's get somebody that has no connection to the program whatsoever and bring them back in. And let's just start from scratch and get, you know, they can, they can develop a, a relationship with all the alums and everything like that. But let's get somebody who, you know, doesn't have any preconceived notions of this is how it's been done the last 40 years and, and is having success elsewhere in the college hockey world and going. And you're going to have a lot of people, if that's the route that Mark Coyle goes, are going to be very unhappy. Um, you know, I've never heard anything substantiated, but the rumors are there are a lot of very prominent Gopher alums that have been unhappy with Lucia for the last eight to ten years. And one of the reasons is he's not a Gopher alum. Now he's got nothing but Gopher alums on his assistants. Mike Gensel is a Gopher alum. Scott Bell is a Gopher alum. Grant Petoni was a Gopher alum. But Don Lucia is a Notre Dame alum. He's not an M-man. And there's that tension between several of the high-profile alums and Lucia. So, like I said, if the Gophers decide to go that route, if Mark Coyle decides to go that route come March or, or April... It's going to be ugly. There's going to be a lot of people with very strong viewpoints and very uh, big interests in it starting to get in, get involved and get things ugly. And it's not going to be pretty one way or the other. So um, Minnesota fans should just be ready for that if that's the way it goes. It's not going to be a easy, pretty coaching search. This is going to be ugly. You're going to get people leaking things. It's not going to be... It's not going to be a wham-bam search. Um, people are going to be unhappy no matter who Mark Coyle decides to hire. So uh, we'll find out. Like I said, I'm, I'm not I'm not coming out today saying Don Lucia needs to be fired. He's got four weeks of the regular season, and he's got the Big Ten tournament and the NCAA tournament to try and, to me, prove that he deserves to save his job. I'm giving him every opportunity to, but if the Gophers continue to look mediocre and falter down the stretch, I'm going to side with everybody else. I think it's time to get some fresh blood in. Um, where, Which side I fall on for the flesh blood, whether we go for the, the M-Man or somebody new, I haven't yet decided yet. I, I've, uh, you know, I've got a few candidates on either side of the, either side of that divide that I like, but uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting if they decide to go that route for sure. Keeping the coaching theme going, football. Football has lost two assistant coaches. Uh, Mo Linguist, um, which I gotta say, between the two, I feel like the Mo Linguist uh, departure is the the really big, the really tough one. Uh, after being named assistant head coach, 
um, as you know, I assume a, a move to try to hold him in place if they could. Uh, Texas A&M came in and, and snatched Mo up uh, to be defensive backs coach down in uh, College Station. Uh, I don't think I certainly haven't seen exact terms come out at any point since that move was announced. But uh, given the fact that uh, the Aggies just went out and signed, um, all of a sudden my brain is going brain is going blank. Who did they? What's the name of the Florida State coach? Not the head coach, the one they hired, their, their new head coach. Jerks. Jerk. Uh, Jimbo Fisher, uh, they, they signed him for a seven, sorry, a 10 year, $7.5 million per year deal. $75 million over 10 years. Guaranteed for Jimbo Fisher. Um, I, given that kind of stupidity with their money, um, I can only assume that they backed up a dump truck to Mo Linguist and said, Hey, here's a lot of money. Come coach for us. Um, so certainly at least, you know, a lot of money compared to what the university, university of Minnesota is going to be able to pay a defensive backs coach. Um, so I don't begrudge them. I don't think, I mean, the, the move makes sense. Um, but I, I do think that'll be, you know, that's a tough one. He's a good recruiter. Um, uh, Ed Warner, offensive line coach now in a TBD position at Michigan maybe some form of offensive like support staff. I don't know. There's rumors he'll go to the Tennessee Titans now that Mike Vrabel for some reason was hired as the head coach, despite being a terrible defensive coordinator in the NFL. Um, you know, I, I mean, does, do either of these uh, moves worry you? Uh, I, I know we've seen quote, the wheels are falling off uh, from certain quarters of the Gopher internets as the general response to this uh, street, are you in any way worried by either of these departures? Wasn't the whole thing about Ed Warner is that he was only a one year rental anyway. I mean, I think we all hoped we'd get him for two. Like my personal hope was we'd get him for two seasons. But the idea was that he was going to be a one year rental, right? Some, I don't know. I've seen some people say that. I don't, I don't recall reading anything going in that made me think that was the actual plan. He, he, Andy, does that... He was the only assistant coach who apparently was only given a one-year contract. Everybody, every All the other assistants were given two-year deals, but apparently Warner was only given a one-year deal. So I think a lot of people knew coming in that there was a fairly decent chance that he'd be looking, but I think they also were sort of thinking, going, okay, well, if he does a good job and whatever, it should be an easy one-year re-up and we'll get him on the same schedule as everybody else. So I think, you know, I think deep down everybody knew that there was a fairly decent chance he'd be looking after one year, but there was still hope that he'd stick around. Um, but yeah, you know, at least to, to, to my viewpoint, I, I would agree with you. I think, I think, um, Mo Lindquist is going to be the, the bigger, uh, loss here. Um, not necessarily for his coaching ability, although he, he, well, I guess we don't really know how well he did coaching up the defense. Yeah, we have, I don't think anybody really knows. <laughs> um, but he did do a quite good job of going into Georgia and recruiting that state um, as well. So I think whoever the Gophers do end up nailing down for that, I don't believe as far as I've seen on, on some of the pay sites that they've uh, they've assigned anybody to that recruiting territory yet. So I think they're definitely looking for somebody to do that Southeast uh, territory. And as we've seen in the last seven or eight years with this program that's been other than minnesota 
probably the most successful recruiting territory the Gophers have gone to. Rodney Smith, Shannon Brooks, um, you know, now going down here and getting uh, Jonathan Celestin, going down and getting Rashad Bateman last year, Braylon Oliver. So I think they need to find somebody, uh, you know, hopefully they can coach the defensive backs as well, but they need to find somebody who can go in and recruit Alabama, Georgia, Mississippi, Florida, um, because as we've seen, you can pull players out of there who can really make a difference on your team. Um, you know, Ed Warner was a good recruiter as well. If you look at his, his final stats, he ended up, I think, technically being ahead of Linquist as the best assistant recruiting coach on the team, however they figure out that formula or whatever. Um, but as we've pointed out on the blog several times, and people worried about Warner leaving and stuff like that, the highest profile offensive line commitments, Falele and Dunlap, yeah, while well, they've talked about Warner, the number one reason they said they were interested in the Gophers was P.J. Fleck. So, P.J.'s still here. He's going to be involved in recruiting. He's going to be everything. And, oh, by the way, yeah, you bring in um, Brian Callahan, who was Football Scoop's Offensive Line Coach of the Year in 2016. So, from a coaching standpoint, you got a fairly good replacement for him right away. So, I think as long as they can figure out the recruiting aspect and, and get that figured out, um, you know, coaching losses are going to happen. This is not a, the sky is falling. This is the new normal. Um, people are going to have to get used to that. It's not Jerry Kill and Tracy Clays and their tight-knit group who don't leave anybody for 20 years again. This is what normally happens in college football to everybody. So, um, you know, you just got to find the next tire, make the best replacement you can, and go to it. I got two things on this. The first one is it's strange to me that the University of Minnesota frequently finds a coach that can recruit Georgia, and we're not sure if he can coach. Well, in most defense, we know Brian Anderson couldn't coach. We just didn't really get a chance to like be around Mo long enough or have him have a defense defensive secondary that didn't keep getting riddled with injury long enough for us to have a good sense of what he could do. The second thing is back when it existed, when I went to Blockbuster to rent a videotape and it was a two-week rental, and at the end of two weeks, I had to give it back. I wasn't super bummed about that. That's my view about Ed Warner. Jesus. <laughs> oh, my God. I mean, I, I, Blockbuster. Well, a blockbuster reference. Go, going on to that, I will say, you know, at least for the optics, I'll honestly be thrilled if he ends up getting the jab with the Tennessee Titans because... You know, we can forget that whole week where he left us to go to Michigan thing ever happened. Because, you know, going to Texas A&M, yeah, whatever. Going to an SEC school, sure. But, you know, and I know I know it's irrational. It doesn't matter. But it just it doesn't look good when one of your coaching staff goes from your school to another Big Ten school to not even be an offensive line coach. He was going to be an offensive analyst, whatever the hell that means. It means basically Jim Harbaugh said, hey, why don't you come sit in our meeting room and we'll offer you a shit ton of money uh, to do whatever you need to do. And, oh, by the way, why don't you tell us how we can beat Ohio State? Um, <laughs> hey, well, it, I, think I, I, I think I may have said this to you like in Slack or something earlier. If, you want, if it helps folks deal with it mentally a little bit, it's worth remembering that Michigan is simply the Texas A&M of the Big Ten. Uh, 
pays way too much money for not enough success. So, I mean, I agree with you. It'll be, everyone hates Michigan and they're in our conference. So it will be easier if he's not there just because we don't hate the Tennessee Titans as a member of our conference. If we hate them, it's for other reasons unrelated to anything. Um, I'm not worried. I, I mean, it will be important to see who they hire. Um, I think I think what's interesting is that I remember when Mo got hired, and the reactions were generally, "Oh my God, nobody knows anything about this guy. And he has no history. We should be super worried." To shrugs, I don't think anybody was excited about his hire. Uh, it just was, "Oh, okay, it's a new dude," or people were legitimately worried that he had no real history as a coach um, of any note. And what happens, he ends up being just an absolute stud for us in recruiting. And may or may not have been a good coach. We're not sure. So I think it'll be interesting whoever gets you know signed in as replacement. I wouldn't be shocked if, if the person who comes in has also got a fairly thin resume as far as being a name that the average fan is going to know. And you know what? I, I would have to say... Much like I kind of trusted Jerry Kill, for the most part, to hire guys who could coach up players, I trust uh, P.J. Fleck to hire coaches who can recruit. Hopefully also coach. <laughs> or at least coach well enough to um, you know, serve as... Not, I, I would like to avoid the Brian Anderson scenario where a dude is capable of recruiting the South but completely incapable of coaching. I would like to avoid that. Um, and, and so that's, that's basically my biggest hope is we can avoid Brian Anderson. I would especially like to avoid Brian Anderson in the sense of somebody who's just a jackass in addition to not being a coach of any, of any quality. Um, but, uh, you know, what can you do? Brian Anderson is terrible. Um, and we are all lucky for him to, you know, not be with us anymore. Um, God if you were a fan of another team, we might still be talking about recruiting because technically there's actually still real national signing day. Although I know the early signing day is becoming the real signing day, uh, coming up here in a little under two weeks, I think, or, but, uh, Minnesota's got a full class, so we don't really have anything recruiting wise to talk about for, for final national signing day. Um, you know, with any luck, we'll get some, uh, more 2019, uh, recruits committing verbally here in a little bit, but uh, outside of that, it's I guess we're kind of just waiting for them to announce spring practices. That's the other big bit of news. We know the spring game is April what twelfth, fourteenth, fourteenth Saturday, April fourteenth at noon. Um, and so now we're just waiting for them to announce spring practices. Is there anything else that we're Got to get super excited about for football here as spring approaches. Well, recruiting. I mean, as you said, it, it, we don't have any high-profile people because we have a full class for 2018. But as you said, the the, the cycle has started. I think the Gophers have their big first uh, early junior day recruiting event next weekend. Um, God, already, already, yeah. So, Jesus. Um, you know, not to steal Payside's content, but they're looking at getting some several high-profile players. Um, Hopefully getting the, the Quinn Carrolls and the Bryce Benharts of the world to show up. I don't know if they've got commitments from them yet. Um, you know, trying just to get a bunch of people in here and get looks at them and see. You know, there's a lot of players. The 
ended up signing with our class that I don't think anybody really had any idea until about a year ago, and they started to develop and show up to camps and, and things like that. So, uh, you know, it'll be good for the Gopher coaching staff to get their first looks at some of these some of these players who they're going to hopefully then camp again over the summer and try and, and try and earn offers. Um, the other thing Minnesota is actively doing, which, um, you know, Jerry Kill did this quite a bit, but I think P.J. Fleck has taken it to a whole nother level, uh, developed the, the Wisconsin and Nebraska model of really getting a really robust walk-on program going. Um, the Gophers have gotten walk-ons from, from several, uh, walk-on commitments from several players in the state of Minnesota who, you know, they could have been going to North Dakota State or they've had other, um, I think we had one guy who was had an Air Force offer or, or another service academy officer who was looking at walking out for the Gophers. Uh, they just got a commitment tonight from from Ty Barron, who was the uh, the senior captain for Minnetonka, the the state runner up, um, middle linebacker and and running back. Um, you know, and just looking at his size, he he's undersized. He's six foot two twenty, which is why he wasn't highly recruited. Um, but looking at his film briefly. He reminds me of another smaller walk-on linebacker that Gophers brought on a couple of years ago. Um, Mike Rallis, might have recognized that name. So, you know, we can't guarantee that any of these guys are going to turn out or actually end up playing, but I, you know, the odds are that at least one or two of these guys is going to develop and end up being a regular contributor in the next four or five years. Um, whether that's the higher-profile walk-on, like a, like a, a, a Zach Annex dad, um, who was actually a three-star commit and had other Power Five offers, um, and decided to walk on to the Gophers, or whether it's one of these unheralded guys who who didn't have a ton of, uh, you know, uh, big offers and decided to try and walk on with the Gophers rather than playing with the North Dakota State or playing with an Ivy League school or something like that. So I think you know we're really seeing that. PJ Fleck is doing a good job in mining the state of Minnesota and trying to convince some of these kids, hey, you know what? Walk on. You if you earn a scholarship, you earn a scholarship. You will play for us. We're not gonna just throw you to the side because you weren't one of our first, you know, twenty five players, twenty eight players we wanted to sign this year. So um there's another one they're they're working at um Montero. I'm blanking on his first name, but he was the linebacker running back for Eden Prairie, the state champions. Um, <laughs> uh, he's the one that got the little Twitter storm going yes. during the uh during the uh state high school tournament about oh my god, how has Minnesota not offered him yet? Yeah. Um Minnesota's still trying to get him his walkout. He did end up getting a scholarship offer last weekend from Rice, so um chances are He's probably going to end up taking that offer and getting a D1 scholarship offer, and, and you know what, more power to him. He deserves that. Um, but, you know, the fact that he has an offer from North Dakota State, he has an offer from, I think, Wyoming, um, and he's still considering walking on at the U, you know, I think that's that's impressive. Um, he's not automatically taking the, the full ride to go play somewhere. He's actually considering... Maybe Minnesota is my best option. So just continuing to, to work that up and trying to pull those players and see, because like I said, I'll say it again, you know, we'll, we'll sign or, you know, sign in quotes, 15 to whatever walk-ons this year. I won't be surprised in two years if two, three, four of them are actually in our regular rotation and making plays for the Gophers. So it's it's something that uh, you know Nebraska did for years and years and years, and Wisconsin's had really good success with it of recent. 
if Minnesota can develop that same type of robust program, it can only make it only make us better in the end. All right, real quick before we call it, question time. Uh, does the complete turd that the Vikings dropped yesterday reduce your excitement about the Minnesota Miracle? Street, you don't watch the NFL at all, but I'm going to ask you first. No, absolutely not. I've spent... I've been a good hour watching that, and it's only about 12 seconds. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm the same way. Like, it, it, last night sucked. Oh, my God, did it suck. I had Eagles fans in the same bar as me, so it extra sucked for me. Um, but that doesn't change the fact that I – it's I the amount of joy I had for the week leading up to the game coming out of, coming out of the uh, – Completely un Minnesota outcome of the of the uh, divisional round, Andy. I mean, how how does it does it change anything for you, or is it just a, hey, we have a joyful moment followed by a crappy moment, and that's very Minnesota. You know, I think I think it, it it's tough to understand in the short term because everybody's disappointed about what the hell they did yesterday. Although, I mean, come on, anybody with a brain knew that was going to happen. Maybe not to the extreme that it did, but you know. We're not allowed to put two games together back in a row, but uh, but it'll be interesting to see five, ten years down the line. I I have a gut feeling that it's going to be remembered more, sort of like the Music City Miracle and stuff like that, which it's a really cool play and really awesome play, and oh, that was great. But it's not going to be remembered as one of those like, oh my God, this was the best moment ever because it didn't end up leading to anything further. Uh, you know, the Music City Miracle was a really awesome play. But, okay, the Titans. I think they actually ended up making the Super Bowl that year, and that was the year they lost to to, uh, the Rams. But point being is, you win a Super Bowl after that, then that's like huge lore, oh my God, that you're telling your grandkids about that. You know, I'm sure my grandkids will watch the play on whatever technology they have 40 years down the line, but it's not going to be one of those... uh, I remember the day I was sitting there with da 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 da, and that happened, and it was the best day of my life. I'm that it, you know, I'm not gonna have. Yeah, that it's gonna be it's gonna be the difference between the Music City Miracle and the level people think about that, and the way Minnesota fans talk about Puckett in '91. Bingo, completely. Yep. Game six, Puckett. If they had lost Game seven, would be a really cool moment, but would wouldn't be the moment of lore, as you said, Andy, um, that it is. Because it led to a game seven of, you know, consequence where Minnesota wins. I think that's fair. I, I think it's hard for me to understand the people who, who find like it lessened their enjoyment. Somehow it took away from it. I, I think it certainly in the long term takes away from the significance of of the uh, of the digs play. Um, but it won't will never it'll never lessen my joy for it. Um it just I won't end up watching it for a while now because I'm salty and, and annoyed. <laughs> uh, all right, so who do we cheer for uh, in the Super Bowl? I'm cheering for Justin Timberlake. That's who I'm cheering for. Uh, Street? You cheer for the Patriots because the Patriots are not from Philly. <sighs> but they're the fucking Patriots. They're not from Philly. Philly is an awful town. The only good joke Bill Burr has ever done is a 12-minute rant on Philly. And while I can't condone certain uh, slurs that he throws in that, because that's obviously not chill, the overarching point is summed up most is summed up best 
when he opens it by saying you're a horrible city and I hope the Eagles never win the Super Bowl. True words have never been spoken. I mean... Fuck. Yeah. And the Patriots are just the Patriots. I hate them, but I don't... Hey, hey, the, the answer is simple. Here for the Patriots because indirectly Tom Brady is one of us. And you're not going to get sick of that storyline being brought up how many thousand times in the next two weeks. I'm already sick of it, so I, that's not helping. Well, I'm just, it's, there is no good answer here. To be fair, to be fair, if I'm being honest, much like I counseled a long time ago when Wisconsin was playing Iowa, you don't need to cheer for any team. You can cheer against Philadelphia. I mean, this is a situation where you root for the meteor. Unfortunately, the problem is you don't want to actually root for an actual meteor this time because it's your city that would get wiped off the bleeping map. If this is being played in Orlando or Tampa or something like that, then please, meteor, take us out. Just, you know, ruin everything. But, you know, I, I would like to see the Monday after the Super Bowl, so I don't want an actual meteor to, <laughs> to hit. Um but yeah, no, it's it's going to be one of those things where it's like, oh, okay, well, I guess I'll watch the football game. Oh, okay, good Doritos commercial. Yes, all right, good, yay, yay. Oh, okay, football's back on. Okay, great. All right, so we're rooting for commercials, we're rooting for JT, and we're rooting against Philly. I think that's probably a fair way to look at it. And I want to be clear that that's not a bitterness thing. In terms of like, oh, they beat the Vikings. Or something. I don't care. Philly, Philadelphia Eagles fans. Philadelphia sports fans in general are worse than Boston sports fans because they have all the same level of entitlement with literally none of the success. And um, more of the, like, like Boston sports fans are assholes because they're entitled and they're ass. Some of them are assholes because they're assholes, but most Philly fans are assholes because they're assholes. Like the behavior, like that got videotaped all weekend from Philly fans which is not in any way out of character for them, is so far beyond anything you see related to Boston sports fans. Plus, it's not like it's not like one of the fan base is like somehow less racist. <laughs> I, mean, that's part, I mean, I think I think you should always establish how much you dislike a fan base by its worst fan. Because, as our resident water demon will point out, in general, if you go to any away game, most of the people you meet are going to be good, no matter what. Unless where you're you going are. to Philadelphia, though. That's my point. Unless you're going to Philadelphia. The median worst sports fan in Philadelphia is every Philadelphia sports fan. All right. I'm officially on board with being... God, I just... Okay, I'm cheering against Philly because Tom Brady is selling $200 fake pseudoscience exercise. He makes all that money. He has a supermodel wife. He has no reason to cheat people out of their money. And he's trying to cheat people out of their money with his fake-ass pseudoscience. One of us. One of us. Oh, my God. All right. The town of Browerville, Minnesota is going to be world famous in the next two weeks. Probably because it has a spring that can prevent concussions. We, we laugh, but he'll probably cite that, like, that spring. Yeah, no. Fuck. 
God damn it. Tom Brady, you're terrible. I hate you. Why couldn't Jacksonville have won? I would have enjoyed so much cheering for Jacksonville. I would also like to point out, on terms of officials' conspiracy theories, not only did Miles Jack obviously recover that fumble, he was obviously not touched. This was known in real time, and it certainly did not merit a whistle being blown early. And that pass interference call on Boye. Was not pass interference. I mean, and it was uncatchable. There, there, there is something to the fact that the first person to congratulate Tom Brady after the Patriots officially won the Super Bowl was the referee. I mean, he literally outsprinted Brady's teammates to get to him first. So, uh, I mean, oh, so another thing we can cheer for: Ed Serratore doing something weird with a uh, index card. It's it's Gene. You're getting Hockley and Serratore. You're mixing the two up. It doesn't. You're. I mean, you're right. Of course, you're completely right. But can you blame me? Yes, we can all blame you. I got I got no defense against that. Okay, I'd be so really Gene, stoked if Gene's territory and Ed Hockley became one person. I mean, you'd have an index card man and a steroid user rolled into one. It could get pretty entertaining. You know, you Ed's know, I, natty. Well, well, and 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 I understand that you know they they. I'm sure the Super Bowl refs probably are not that busy, but. You know, just for the fact that if Gene Story could, Gene Steratory could, he'd be refing a Big Ten game the Friday, Friday or Saturday before the Super Bowl, and then refing the Super Bowl on Sunday. You got to give the guy a little credit for that. It wasn't a Big Ten game. It was just you know Minnesota playing Penn State. It wasn't actually a good game. He had to work. <laughs> All right. Um, I think this is a. a... A solid, a solid effort by us uh, to to kind of get the Sky U podcast back on track, especially given the fact that ultimately we haven't had a single actual positive thing like that we can point to and get super excited about. I think we delivered a informative and not at all uh, overly negative podcast today. Hey, 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 I was very positive about the Gopher women's basketball team for 90 seconds of the 62 minutes we're going on here. So Okay, I, and I and actually I do uh, want to call out that in my head I was like, yes, Andy's bringing up women's basketball, and I had nothing good to follow it with because I have been terrible at keeping up with that team, which is really, I, I'm ashamed of it because... They are the team that we need to be covering more and doing a better job with because they're actually doing well. And there's plenty of players on that team that are extremely worth being excited about. So, You should be excited about Destiny Pitts, who I believe now has six double-doubles on the season, has been the Big Ten Freshman of the Week at least five times. We'll probably make, we'll certainly make an all-Big Ten team. We'll probably be the Freshman of the Year, we'll potentially be all-conference you know, second team. Kenesha Bell, who is also performing admirably. Carly Wagner continues to perform well, is now fifth all-time on the scoring list and will probably end up getting to third by the end of the season. So they have some fun players. The Both men and women's track and field knocked off the uh, Red Evil from the East in their respective border battles. The non-revenue sports of the winter have generally been doing pretty well. So that's the optimism that we can end on for this podcast. I love it. Always, always leave them wanting more. Leave on that high note. Way to pull a Costanza. Oh, like we'll, we'll, we'll leave on one more high note. Um, if you haven't seen it already, 
search for Vic Veramontis on Twitter after you listen to this tomorrow and watch him try to do a snow angel in the blizzard that's happening right now because it's both disturbing and hilarious at the same time. Okay, I didn't know this was a thing that existed. I'm running off to the Twitters here in just a mere moment to watch that. Also, can somebody get a video on Curtis Dunlap? Because that dude was so excited for snow. Like, the interviews where he's like, you can you can feel his excitement for snow through the, uh, through the interview coming through your computer screen. I want to see that dude, like, get videotaped with this blizzard. I got I got I think he probably giggled. I bet you he giggled. And a man that large giggling just is good is good entertainment. So if anyone comes across that, make sure to kick it towards uh, the Daily Gopher account um, or my account at GoAUFer because uh, I want to see Carlos Dunlap giggling while running around in the snow. And with that, uh, thanks again for listening to the Sky U podcast. Go Gophers! Sky U Ma, row the boat. <laughs>